0: Good morning. Welcome to a cooler, what do we say now, midsummer, summer, no summer? What happened to summer? It was a beautiful day. It's just perfect, and it's wonderful to be here in the house of the Lord this morning. We have a very special Sunday that we have a potluck after worship today. So if that comes as a surprise to some of you, don't worry. There's always loaves and fishes, right? God always provides. So we hope that you'll stay afterwards and come on down to the fellowship hall. I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here and online. Welcome, everybody. We just want to celebrate together in the Spirit of the Lord and to celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we've got also the blowing of the shofar today. That's an unusual experience for us. But Rosh Hashanah, the start of the New Year, Jewish New Year, has started this last week. And we want to uh, incorporate that into our worship service because we're in the midst of Romans chapters 9 through 11, closer to the end now, and it's all about the people of Israel and God's plans currently and in the future. And so we'll be, we'll be reading about that a little bit more today and in the weeks to come. So the shofar just fits right in, we'll enjoy that too. So with that, let's begin with the most important aspect of worship, and that's honoring God, celebrating and serving the Lord, and let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, God, it is such a privilege to be in your house. Lord, this is your church. We are your people. You've called us out to serve and worship you, and Lord God, here we are. We thank you for the joy we have in being with each other as you gather us together. We're thankful, Father, for the joy of life that we have, life in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, the promise of eternal life, hope and meaning and purpose in this world. And Lord, we have a message you've given us to share with others. May we now be inspired by your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word, to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us. Lord, we are truly grateful for who you are and what you do and all that you've created in us to be and do as well. Lord, we're here for you. We love you. And we're grateful that you love us too. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.
1: Uh, can everybody stand and say hi to each other? Because i got to get a new battery in my microphone.
0: <laughs> Why don't you move around a little bit and say hello to each other for a few minutes while we have a battery change. All right.
1: Okay, she's back online. (laughs) Hey, this morning um, I was um, having some time in the Word of God. (laughs) I'm never going to break through this one. But you were talking about the shofar and the people of Israel. And they... um, God chose them, and one of the things that it says in Romans, I think it was Romans, um, it says that part of being chosen was that they were given the privilege to worship, and this morning we're given the privilege to worship through Jesus Christ, that we have this wonderful access to a loving Father, and uh, so this is super cool that we can be here and worship together. All right, here we go. One, two, three, four. Sometimes cold. And Father, we just come here this morning to be renewed and be fresh by your Spirit, to understand, Father, Lord, your calling and your mission for us as we uh, get to experience and have the privilege of worshiping you. Lord, help us, Father, to share your love and bring more, Father, to your name and to your wonderful love. Thank you, Lord. And as we think about that, we think about your coming again. And, Lord, we want to be ready. And, Lord, we want to be ready to uh, to meet you and greet you and have our eyes fixed on you uh, face-to-face. We look forward to that. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Street, a
2: highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming.
0: Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to sing and to think about the words we've just sung. Lord God, it's for your glory and praise. We know that you promised us that the day will come when Christ returns. And in the meantime, Jesus promised he'd always be with us to the end of the age. And when that end comes, when that day brings Christ present to the entire world, Lord God, we pray that more and more people will be ready. We pray, God, that we will have the courage, the boldness, the timing, the inspiration of your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses around the world, here at home, among families and friends and co-workers, neighbors, strangers. Lord God, it's the truth that Christ did die on the cross to bring us together, to have our sins forgiven, that you, Lord God, totally righteous and holy, and we're not, But what Christ did for us, Lord God, brought us together, your love and action for us to bring us into your family, to be your children, to call you Abba, Father. It is such a privilege to know you. Help us, Lord God, to share that privilege with others. Help us, Lord God, to be in prayer. Help us to be in step with your Holy Spirit. Mold us and shape us, we pray that we could continue to thrive and we continue to love and we continue to embrace your grace and mercy and to know your comfort and love every day and to share that with others. Lord, thank you for this very special day, day we call worship a Sunday worship. May you draw us nearer and dearer to you, those who have known you for a long time, deepen and enrich our faith, those of you that are here for the first time wondering about what we're doing (laughs) We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will bless them with the richness of your love, to in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, paying the price for our sins, that we can be righteous in your sight. That is such a wonder. It's a miracle. And there is eternal life through what Jesus has done. We're here to worship you, and we're here to thank you. We are your people. May we serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Um, I'd like to invite the kids up through fifth grade and even junior and senior hires, come on up, and Gabe's here too, so come on up. We've got the presentation of Bibles for Isaac and Landon this morning, so come on up and join me here. Okay. We'll just take a minute as they're coming up. Hey, while they're, while they're making their way, I might as well do some announcements now that I'm thinking about it, give people time to get down here. Um, I'm... I'm saying that on October 1st, we're going to do a little puzzle exchange. You know how your puzzles sit in your closet, and you love your puzzles, but you've only done them once, and you really aren't going to do them twice. Maybe, maybe not. So on October the 1st, the first Sunday, bring your puzzles. We're going to put them all out there on the stage in the fellowship hall. I've already got two bags full in my office. We're going to lay them all out there. You can pick you, you like you know and have some fun with them down the road. I'm a puzzle putter together. Jenny is too. Mom is. So if you're a puzzle person and you want to have some fun, don't let them gather dust. Let's just share those. That's part of our living life together and and fun, right? Also, October the 1st, that same day, there will be a meeting for planning the harvest party, which last year was a great success. We tied into our preschool here, and we had a big turnout. And so we need to see people volunteering to... Uh, put yourselves in the doorways in our hallway and we'll have a good time with the kids and have a harvest party on October the 28th which is a Saturday and we'll hear more about that to come also if you're wondering what events are taking place this month and next month we do have a website firstpressoc.org check that I keep it updated it's got all the dates and events that I could think of in there under the title news and updates so news and updates on our website I keep it current so you can see what's coming and and stay on top of things. So, good to see you all here. I'm going to make my way down through here. And I always have to be careful, because with graded lenses, you just don't know where anything is. Um, So Landon, Landon, hey, step up, bud. And Isaac, step up. Here you go, sir. Um, This is Landon and Isaac. It's also Landon's birthday today, which is a very special double thing here too. So congratulations. We give our our third graders these Bibles. They're very good. They're NIVs. They've got great notes in there and helps and pictures and all the things that adults really secretly want to have. Um, They get that in their special Bibles and so we're always pleased to do this. And I want to say a prayer for you too. okay? You ready to join me? Why don't you come up here and we'll lay hands. We call it laying hands on. Just lay hands on each other. Lay hands on them like I'm doing this is what the family does right come on up and join us if you can and just reach out a hand there we go And we're gonna pray for Landon and Isaac okay Heavenly Father God it is such a blessing to be a family such a blessing to be together it's wonderful we thank you God that all ages here can say thank you God for who we have in Jesus the Holy Spirit in our lives and the truth of your word and Lord God Isaac and Landon are holding their Bibles today And we thank you that we can share your word with them, and we pray, God, that this word that they've received today would fill their hearts and minds with the love that you have for them, the truth, and may they know who they are and whose they are and grow up to be strong men of faith, alive in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for them and for all the youth here today and old people, um, older, yeah, thank you so much. Lord, we love you very, very much. And we're so blessed today to be here with Isaac and Landon. And especially, Lord, thank you for Landon's birthday, too. Bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, your arm's getting tired? Yeah, thank you for praying with us. You can head down the hallway now for Sunday school. Thank you so much. That was fun. Um, just a quick note about the potluck. For some of you, uh, you don't know it yet, but there is a potluck after worship today down the hallway. A large room called our, our um, fellowship hall is down there. We've got chicken and tableware provided. We also I've seen beans and Caesar salad and plenty of desserts. And so if you didn't bring something this morning, please don't hesitate to come down. This is a fellowship event, not really a food event. There's food, but really it's meant to connect and have fun and enjoy each other's company, right? So we hope that you'll come on down there and enjoy and have a good time with the rest of us. So, good timing. All right. For those that are here in the sanctuary, we're going to finish up. Am I missing something? What? That's later. In a minute. They're ready. Okay. You can stay standing. You're all right. We're going to uh, invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 21. I'm going to read the Word, and then we're going to hear the blowing of the shofar. It's It's a unique instrument, as we'll hear shortly. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, Did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, Did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I'll make you envious of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Lord, may you bless these words now to the depth of our very being that, Lord God, we would see the vitality of the wonders of the gospel being shared in the world around us. And may we be an instrument in that. And, Lord God, we look forward to the amazing things you will yet do. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'd like to invite you guys to come on up and share with us the shofar trumpet. Paul, are you going to come on up? Yeah. I'm going to give you a mic so like um, I can hear
1: I'll make a small introduction. I've been doing this for about ten years now and um, I go to another service on Saturday as for um, people who like to do the Jewish. This, this is the Gentile thing to do, the, the, this part, on a Sunday. On a Saturday, um, we just do it a little bit with more Jewish flair. <laughs> so I'm go- just going to share with you what the Jews do on um, New Year's Day, which is Rosh Hashanah and this is the second day of the new year. These are, this is usually blown on the first day. OK.
3: Um, so the first blast that she's going to uh, do is called the Tekia. Um, it is basically like a, a greeting or a hello. It's sort of wake a wake up. Uh the next one is the shavarim. Um it's kind of like a mourning cry. It's it's um when you're in mourning or you're just uh, in sorrow. Um and that's what that's the shavarim. Sounds pretty mournful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we have the next one is the, called the Terua. It's the alarm. It's like wha- the enemy's coming, the, uh, they're, they're on their way. So, this, this is to alert the people that the enemy's coming. okay and lastly we have the 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 gadola uh, that is the a great blast it's to it's something the the lord is doing something great and, and there there's something big is expecting is being expected deep breath
0: Is that a first for many of us, right? It is fun to hear it, though, because it's right out of the Bible, and I want to explain why we did that this morning. Uh, The section that we're in, of course, chapters 9 through 11, are about Paul's engagement with the people of Israel. The concern underlying the entire three chapters is that now at that point in time there are many more Gentile or non-Jewish Christians than there were Jewish Christians. And so Paul is addressing this very need that they have. And just previously, last Sunday, we ended with a quote from the book of Joel. And in that book it talks about many things, which I'll mention in a second, but before we go any further, the shofar that we just heard has several meanings. It comes right out of the Old Testament. There is something called the Feast of Trumpets that's referred to in Leviticus. It's initiating the start of a new Jewish year, which began on Thursday. And in this case, we've heard the trumpet blast, and it means several things that maybe we as typically non-Messianic Jews. Maybe there are some here. In fact, I know there are. But most of us don't have that tradition, that background, and so that's why we brought it to you this morning. So what does the shofar mean? Well, you heard the mourning tone. That has to do with sin and the casting away of our sin, to mourn our distinct sins before God that offend God. And so some Jews today will throw pebbles into a pond as a sign of throwing away their sins. And that's associated with the blowing of the trumpet. That's a traditional understanding. Also, when God breathed life into Abraham, that was another tradition that developed. But what underlies all of the blowing of the horn is that something big is on the horizon, that God is going to do something amazing sometime soon. And the blowing of the shofar is like a wake-up call, an announcement that keep your eyes open, God is on the move. Something big is coming. That's all part of the blowing of the trumpet. In fact, you can look back at the blowing of the trumpet and you see a big event follows that most often. Like, remember when Jericho was defeated and the walls fell down? What did they do before the walls fell down? They marched around it and they blew the trumpet. Something big is going to happen. And they went around several times and finally... The walls collapsed. They did not take pickaxes to the wall. The walls just fell down. Something big happened and it was the hand of God that did it. And so the blowing of the shofar brings to mind several things throughout the Old Testament, big events. What do we look forward to or what does the Bible talk about? Well, it talks about several things. The bridegroom is coming for his bride. Jesus will return. And the trumpets are one of the last festivals in that sequence of historical events announcing the coming of christ so sometime as god wills it christ is coming back and the shofar calls our attention to that and we will be gathered together with jesus jew and gentile believers alike one people in jesus christ some time ago when we were teaching fifth and sixth graders during the midweek jenny and i had some bible games going on and one of the things we did was we would announce a chapter and a verse from a book. And the first student to find that chapter and verse would win a prize. Well, I would tell them like, Joel. And they'd say, what? And they started laughing at me because they didn't think I was serious. There's no book in the Bible called Joel. And I said, yes, there is. Look it up. And it's not a very big book, but it's a very important book. It's in the, what they call the Minor Prophets. And what does minor mean, unimportant? No, it just means short. There are shorter ones and there are longer ones. If they're really long, they're major. If they're short, they're minor. And Joel's among the minor prophets, and it often gets overlooked. But we shouldn't because there are several things in that prophetic book that really speak through the shofar to all of us this morning. And some of those things are, for instance, and he lived 800 years before Jesus, by the way, Joel prophesied the coming of the Holy Spirit to live within believers, and we saw that came true on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So there's a prophetic word fulfilled. He also talks about the coming of Christ and the final judgment that the shofar calls our attention to, that feast of trumpets. Prior to that, there will be signs in the heavens, war, and, and Israel will finally turn their hearts to the Lord. And... Two Sundays ahead of this, or from now, we'll look into the future plans that God has for Israel. So at the end of last Sunday's sermon, Paul quoted Joel chapter 2, verse 32, and it's found in Romans 10, 13. And this is what he wrote, or what he referred to. I'm just going to widen the context a little bit. Joel 2, 1 and thirty one thirty two. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. You see the big event, the blowing of the horn, something big is coming. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Remember that from last Sunday, those of you that heard it and those that hadn't, you can always go back, we archive all of our sermons. Call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, right? You'll be saved. And we talked about that. It's more than just words and mechanics. It's a real living covenant, faithful relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So who can meaningfully call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? All who receive and believe the truth of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, all of them, past, present, future, and that Christ rose from the grave. We have eternal life. It's all part of that good news that we bring. And in this world we live in today, aren't you glad that Christ will return and everything will be made right? We need that. So how does the Word receive the truth then? How does anybody know what's going on? How do they hear the trumpet call calling them to faith, calling them to look forward to a great activity of God. Well, somebody needs to preach the news. Somebody needs to preach, declare it. So number one in your outlines, our responsibility, and this is right out of Scripture, is this. Share the word of Christ worldwide. That's our responsibility, a believer's responsibility. Verses 14 to 15, Paul asks rhetorically, How? Then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. When you see the word preach, who do you imagine is the one doing it what what do they call me i am a preacher are you a preacher technically speaking yes because preaching is not an official office or a preacher or an ordained individual preaching here is the word declaring to declare to announce to make known to herald that's what this means. And it doesn't mean that you need to be somebody special with the ability to speak or to put together a sermon or to be ordained. It's nothing like that. It's meant for all of us who have received and believed the good news to be able and willing to share it. That's what Paul is saying. So is it missionaries? Yes. Is it ourselves? Well, we're missionaries too, right where we are. Is, is it an ordained preacher? Sure. Is it everybody who is a preacher? Yes. There isn't any distinction. Elders, deacons, ordained ministers, doesn't matter. Everybody is called by God to preach. The word preach in Greek is a great word. It's Caruso. Does that remind you of an opera singer? Enrico, what is it? Enrico Caruso, right? He was a a tenor, I believe, and when he sang, his very name expresses what he does. He's Making a caruso. He is declaring. He's drawing the audience into his message. And that's what Paul says we do. We're carusos in that sense. All of us are. So if I call somebody to dinner, or Jenny does a lot more carusoing than I do, hey guys, get off the computer. Dinner's getting cold. Okay. Go get your mom. She's downstairs. You know, tell her dinner's on. That's a caruso in the most general sense of the word. So we'll have to change how we address everybody. Go Caruso your mom, Bruce. get under here. So I just want to make it very clear to all of us that when he says preach, we've got to wipe out that preacher image and put in to declare, to speak, to say something on some level, in some way, in some opportunity, you are fulfilling the message, the purpose, that you have been blessed with salvation, sharing that with others. That's why we're here. So preaching isn't something that God calls some of us to do. It's something we're all supposed to do. We can't delegate it. You can't call on paid staff or elders or deacons to do it for you. If you know the Jesus that we know and you love him and you are saved by what Christ has done for you, then you can share the good news. You know it, you can share it. It's as simple as that. And you can do it very simply. Share it, share it as the Holy Spirit provides. Share it in a way that fits your personality. I'm a little bit more introverted. Jenny is a lot more extroverted. I have my style. I'm, I like science and, and sort of a mathematical way of thinking. Logical, sequential, managerial. Others of you are entrepreneurial and variety of things are going on all at once and those kind of people scare me because i think how do you ever get anything done but you somehow manage to pull it all together right there's different personalities don't try and be a different personality be yourself people need authenticity and part of that is who you are so be yourself and realize that the message isn't something you're trying to sell it's just a message you're delivering and let the holy spirit bring it home. I still remember one of my preaching heroes was uh, Jonathan Edwards, and purportedly he spoke in a monotone. How many of us could stay awake through a monotone? But, he, but what he did had a tremendous impact on American society during the time he preached and traveled. People came to faith. So it's really not us. It's the message and the power of the Spirit, right? So we can trust that. And also, share it verbally. Don't think that just because you're doing nice things is the message. Lots of people do nice things, but they don't know Jesus. So we want to make sure that we express it. How many of you ever heard Francis of Assisi quoted? There's the famous quote. Share the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. What does that imply? Words are not as important as what you do. And only if necessary, say something. You know the truth is, Francis of Assisi never said it. Ever. Not one time. In fact, Francis of Assisi would have agreed with Paul. He taught the Franciscan order, he taught them that you needed to say something backed up by your life. But you can't Do it with your life and only, if necessary, back it up with words. That's the wrong way around. So if you ever hear Francis of Assisi quoted, now you know. Fact check. He never said it. People find it convenient, though. I just thought I'd point that out. So everybody that knows the Scriptures knows that we need to say something. We need to express it somehow. Maybe it's in writing. I know some of you... I've talked to some of you who have had Bibles with McDonald's gift certificates, small little New Testaments, or maybe the Gospel of John with a McDonald's group of coupons inside of it. And when you see people, you know, looking for help, you just hand them the Scriptures, and in there some food they can eat, no cash, you know, nothing like that, and you're getting the message across. But it's still a communicated word, right? Now, that's, that's personality. If you don't want to say anything, at least give them. The word that they could read right there's all kinds of creative things that we can do A friend of ours was just invited to go to a church on an evening service the other day and I really appreciate the fact that a Christian said why don't you come to worship with us and see what God's all about that too can be gospel sharing right because I promised you when I first came here years ago that no matter what I'm preaching on I will always talk about the good news of Jesus and I've got that from personal experience. I've, been to, I've heard sermons where I never heard the gospel, not one time. And I brought a friend one time, and I was sure they were going to share the gospel. And my friend Ken was going to hear the word and become a believer in Jesus too. And I didn't hear a single thing about it. And he never went to church again. And I thought, I am never going to let that slide. And uh, I didn't know I was going to be a preacher at the time. But to this day, I think it's so important. My dad came to faith after being years and years in church. Years and years in church. Finally came to faith in Jesus. The timing was God's. That's how God works. We just need to be faithful and speak. So what does Paul say? There's a sequence that he's got here. He's working backwards. He says this, Calling on the name of the Lord is always preceded by the belief in the gospel. Believing the gospel is preceded by hearing it. And hearing it is preceded by somebody preaching it or sharing it. And preaching the gospel is preceded by someone who's been sent to do it. There's a sequential flow. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't use visions and dreams. That happens all the time. It happens in the Middle East today. People come and meet Jesus personally, like Paul did on the road to Damascus when he met the living Christ and became a believer. That's happening now in our own lifetime and in all the years prior. So God is infinitely creative but what Paul is saying is, if Israel claims they never knew, then they need a come-to-Jesus moment. Oh, yes, they did. That's what's underlying what he's doing here. They certainly did hear the good news of Jesus. So who does the sending? And who is sent? Well, I bet you can guess, can't you? God does the sending, and we are the ones God sends. You don't have to go clearer across the world some do we're right here in one of the least churched most casual and cavalier spiritual environment in the united states right here and here we are we don't have to go anywhere to be close to a large population that doesn't know the good news of jesus christ or is still resistant to it but the holy spirit's on the move And I know that sometimes I'd like to live in an area that's more biblically rooted. I remember when I was in Tennessee one time, the gal that was running for governor talked about her faith in Jesus and mentioned scripture. And I thought, wow, that would never happen in Oregon, ever. But it does there still. And that makes an impact. And I'm thinking, but you know what? I live here. And the gospel is just as good here as it is in Tennessee. And God is just as good here as God is in Tennessee. And I've got a purpose for living, and God put me here. And that's always the most important thing. Where does God want you to be? And then what are we doing there? That, I think, is so key. I remind myself frequently of Matthew 28. It's such a a hallmark of what God intends. Jesus came to them as disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what are we supposed to do? Go. And that's actually a participle, going, not a one and done, but a constant life. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The country may be drifting away from scriptures, but Jesus has never drifted away from us. He's with us always. We've got the same Lord, the same hope, the same meaning, the same purpose, the same fellowship of believers that we've always had. And it's our mission and our responsibility to share that beauty with the gospel around the world. That's God's good news. Now, I don't know about you, but how do you like your feet? Do you hide your feet? I hear women have lots of shoes, and I know some men that have lots of shoes as well. I know some men that have more shoes than their wives do, which I cannot figure out for the life of me, but they do. And I know that one of my daughters doesn't like her feet, but we tell her she's got wonderful feet. They're good, sturdy, strong feet. How about your feet? Is there a fungus among us? (laughs) Have you bought athlete's foot spray recently? Have you got an ingrown nail? Have you got thickened toenails that you need a chainsaw to get through now? How are your feet? Do you know that when Paul says how beautiful are the feet, he is not talking about the aesthetics of your feet. He's talking about the beauty of the gospel that makes your feet beautiful if you carry it. In fact, the word beautiful is the word we would use for a full-blooming flower, a flower that's just opened itself up completely to maturity, vital, vibrant, colorful, fresh, alive. Wow! That's beautiful. And when a believer shares the gospel, God sees it like a flower in full bloom, reaching its zenith of, of maturity and purpose, the pinnacle of amazing wonder, He says, that's you. Every time you and I share the gospel, God sees it like a flower in full bloom. You've arrived. That's beautiful. And your feet then carry that beauty. That's what God says. That's what Paul conveys. That's what the Old Testament says. Full bloom, vigorous maturity, the plan of God at work. So here at the church, we've got three words that we've been focusing on to help us organize our thinking and planning and purpose, and it's outreach, evangelism, and discipleship. Those three encompass a vast amount of everything we should be doing, right? Outreach is easy. Have you ever been friendly before? Have you ever said hello to a stranger? Have you ever gotten to know anybody? Then you are familiar with outreach. You and I can do that. And then there's the other end of it, discipleship, teaching, training. Have you ever parented before? Well, then you've discipled. Have you ever taught anything to anybody? Well, then you've discipled. We know what discipleship is, and the Word of God is what we're trying to and are conveying, teaching, Sunday school, sermons, all that. We're disciple-making, maturing together, growing together. I'm learning right along with all of you. The one that's the most difficult and the one that Paul really brings out is the E, evangelism. Evangelism is not a professional position of an evangelist. Some people have big audiences. Some people are one-on-one. But anybody that shares the hope that you have in Jesus Christ with anybody else, you are, in that moment, evangelizing. And that's the part that I think we struggle with probably the most. And I like to think of it this way. If it's O-E-D and we eliminate the E of evangelism, all we've got is O-D. And what does O-D stand for? Overdose. An overdose. And that is not life-producing, is it? That's death-producing. Churches shrink and die and wither and they forget their purpose. Outreach, evangelism, discipleship. That is the mark of a mature, healthy, growing, vibrant church. And I'm a part of it, and you're a part of it, and it doesn't have to be us. You've got to think kingdom. You've got to think big. If somebody lives in a different town, and they need, to, they need to walk to church, then for goodness sakes, help them find a good church near where they can go. That's the point. It's kingdom thinking. When we all get to heaven, there won't be a section for Presbyterians. At that point, there'll be Presby But what? It will simply be We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, one church. It's going to be so cool. So Presbyterians is just how we organize ourselves so we can cooperate with our brothers and sisters across the country and around the world, right? That's all. We're believers in Christ first and foremost. Now, it's true. The world may not want to hear what we have to say. Is that a shocker? I'm not shocked by that. I dare you to ever tell somebody you're a pastor because you are. You're just not an ordained one. But in that pastoral, caring, concerning sense, if you were to say, let's put it this way, I'm a minister for Jesus Christ, but I'm not ordained, that'll probably go, what? But it'll also raise some interesting conversations. No, know. No, just find some ways to interact and engage. The best way to talk to people, by the way, don't tell them, ask them. If you ask somebody a question, you're drawing them into a conversation. What do you think about God? What do you think about what's going on in the world today and all the evil that we're seeing? Where do you suppose all that stuff's coming from? Do you think there's an answer? What could be the answer? Then you can share. It's an engaging way to incorporate life as a believer amongst others who aren't that's safe and, and honoring and respectful and you're listening and people really appreciate that. And that can lead to a deeper dialogue. All right, secondly, the world is accountable also for what they're going to do they're going to receive this gospel and it's they're accountable for whether they believe it or not that they're responding to it they're accountable for that see paul's going to shift now from the speaking to the hearing verses 16 to 18 but not all the israelites accepted the good news for isaiah says lord who has believed our message consequently faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The first quote is from Isaiah chapter 53. Now, if you know uh, what Isaiah 53 contains, you'll realize that that is a chapter about Jesus Christ, His death, the hope. You can Put Jesus' word, his name rather, in Isaiah 53, it will blow your mind. In fact, the church has a history of calling the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah. Because it's so evident and so prevalent, and Paul quotes Isaiah more than any other Old Testament book. And particularly, you'll see Jesus written large all throughout the 53rd chapter in that Old Testament book. Isaiah 53, 1 begins with, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah is saying that the chosen people of Israel, well, only some of them, the minority, the fewer number, are believers in the Messiah. The vast majority aren't having it. They don't want to hear it. They reject it. They fight against it. They're not there. They're lost. And Isaiah knew that at the time. So what was it because nobody had heard the gospel? Was it because they didn't know? And that's where Paul would say this in verse 18. Of course they knew. Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. He's quoting again from the Old Testament, Psalm nineteen four. And the context for Psalm 19 is worldwide evangelism. God's global interest in everybody, that they could hear the good news of the Messiah and to know God. Here's how the psalm starts. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. If you let creation speak and you meditate it on long enough, you find that there's a lot of attributes of God that become very apparent just from a general sense of revelation in creation itself. You could ask somebody a question, for instance, how did something come from nothing? Well, if you believe in science, there's absolutely no explanation. If you're a scientism person... But if you know that there is spirit before anything came into being, then there's room to allow for God. Where did God come from? Well, there was no time before creation. That's an irrelevant question. God has always been in spirit. In fact, John's Gospel starts off, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. What is the Word? The mind of God, an immaterial spiritual being. Now, that makes sense. You can have these kind of conversations to help people along, in their journey to realize that some of the impressions and thoughts they had start to implode in their head because you're asking questions and those are good questions and you're helping them look at and say you know am i thinking the right way and they might ask you in return well what do you think great opportunity romans 1 For since the creation of the world god's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Nobody has an excuse. God has enough information out there in the world itself. And the Jews have special revelation. I call it Volume 1, New Testament, Volume 2. Instead of old and new, it's not dusty and useless and irrelevant and just passe. It's Volume 1 and Volume 2. And in Volume 1, you get all the information about the Messiah, starting in Genesis chapter 3, which is awesome. And clear through the entire Old Testament, you see the Messiah and how God is working through people till you come to the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is the Old Testament theme that runs throughout. God chose Israel with special information, special privilege to know, but they weren't to keep it to themselves. They were to share it. They were to be a holy people. They were to be a nation of priests, What do priests do? They're to bring people closer to God. The world around them needed to hear what God gave them. They were to be the preachers. And only some of them believed. And God knew that that was the case. But they had no excuse. They knew. Then thirdly, Gentile believers will help save ethnic Israel. Do you know that if you're not a Jew this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and that means you're Gentile in a generalized sense, Do you know that we have a role to play in Israel's ultimate salvation? Not that we're the Savior. But our belief in Jesus Christ is going to irritate them to the point that it's going to bother them and they'll become envious of the blessings we have in God. It's it's an interesting twist on how God's going to work His way and save people. Look at 19 through 21. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. That's us. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. They didn't have the Old Testament. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. God showed up. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient, and obstinate people. Do you know what your ethnicity is? Europeans laugh at us, you know, they think, you know, we say, I'm Scottish, I'm Irish. And they'll say, no, you're not, you're Americans. And when I lived in Germany for a couple of years, I decided it's best to just say I'm a mutt, you know. I'm kind of a mixed breed. I don't know, I don't care, I'm American, you're right. But I do know that a lot of my ethnicity is Scot, Welsh, English, Irish, touch of German maybe in there. And what, anybody? Just shout out any ethnic identity that you know you have. Yeah, Czech. Dutch. Czech. Have Indian. Indian. Norwegian. Mexican. Russian. Russian. What? Chinese? Chinese. Alright. Anybody else? What's interesting is, when he talks about nations, he's talking about ethnic groups ethnic groups. It's not a nation. It's ethnic groups. It's kind of fun to look at it that way. The reason I ask is because Paul isn't writing again about nation states like the United States of America or or Russia or India or China or any other nation. He's talking about people groups, people like us. And he lumps them into two categories. One is the people of Israel. That's one category. And the other category is basically everybody else, me most of you. For Israel to continue to reject Jesus because Gentiles are being saved, Paul says that's nonsense. See, part of the impediment to reaching the Jewish community in Paul's time was that the Gentiles outnumbered the Jewish Christians, and that rankled the Jews because they thought, that doesn't sound like God to us. That sounds like you're saying God is unfaithful to us, that God's covenant promises have failed failed. And Paul says, no, God said a long time ago that there would be more believers who weren't Jewish than were Jewish, and there are even, them, even in the population of the Israel, there will be a population within Israel that really believes the majority will not. And that's all in the Bible already, and they should have known this. And that was Paul's point. Don't let that distract you from believing in Jesus. God's at work and God is faithful. God knows what's going on. So let's see how it plays out. When a Gentile Christian outnumbers an Israeli Christian, what is God up to? Well, God told Moses 1,500 years before Jesus was born that that's what God would be doing. Deuteronomy 32, they made me jealous by what is no God. This is God talking, and angered me with their worthless idols. He's talking about his chosen people. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. In other words, God will bless people who are beyond the people of Israel, and that will annoy them, and they'll wonder why. And in the end, they'll find out why, and they'll want God's blessings. So God is using us as missionaries, you could say, in a very real sense, to the chosen people of Israel, even now today. God told Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born this, I revealed myself to those who didn't ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation or an ethnic group that did not call on my name. I said, here am I, here am I. God seeks. That's why we know him. It's miracle of God, all of us are, that we've been called by God to faith. God's purpose with global salvation was through Abraham, a lineage of ancestry leading to Jesus. Genesis 12, 3 says, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Even in Oregon City, Canby, Gladstone, all the surrounding communities, wow. We're a long way away from Israel. You get on a plane, it takes a long time to get there. And here we are. That's God's global blessing Romans eleven eleven c says this, Salvation has come to the Gentiles for one reason, or a reason, to make Israel what? Envious. What do we have that could possibly make Israel jealous, envious? We have peace with God. We have joy in the Lord. We can look at the troubles in the world without fear. I just read articles or saw article titles. The end of the world now is clearer. Scientists are saying at this point we will cease to be. And I know that there's a lot of furor on the internet about Jesus's imminent return. I don't know about the date or the hour. Nobody does, and we're not supposed to be like eagle-eyed on that and, and transfixed by it. What should we be doing until that time comes? You know what Augustine said? Augustine, big wheel in the old church, right? Wrote a lot of books, theologian, all that. Augustine was asked, What would you do? And he's watering a plant. What would you do right now, Augustine, if you knew Jesus was coming in the next minute? You know what he said? I'll just finish watering my plant. Because he's not living outside the will of God. He's living in Christ. He's living in faith. He just coincidentally, at the moment, happened to be watering a plant. He's not embarrassed, he's not shy. He's not humiliated or ashamed. It can happen any second. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are ready. And the message we carry and the gospel we share is helping other people be ready. That's the important thing. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, he's not talking about their tendency to be argumentative. He's not talking about an ethnic trait. What he's saying is, in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're not having it. What does it mean to be disobedient? It means you will not let yourself be persuaded. It's like, I'm not going there, and you can't make me, and I refuse to even think about it. They're just closed, and it's their choice to say no. The other word that he uses is obstinate, which means that they're naysayers. They're actually contradictory. You say it's good, they say it's bad. You say it's up, they say it's down. That's an obstinate person, contradicting, denying, opposing, refusing. My uh, aunt had a husband whose sister was a missionary to the Jews in L.A. It was, uh, her group was called Jews for Jesus. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, Ruth with the truth was her nickname and i really admired ruth because she was a steady plotter she witnessed to the jewish community until she retired and did well she also told me some of the issues they faced that when they went out and shared in the jewish homes the good news of jesus christ sometimes afterwards there were what they called anti-missionaries people would come to the home following up on what they'd done and try and Reject and push away the good news of Jesus to reclaim the people so they would not place their faith in Christ. And that happened all the time. And that was happening here for Paul as well. Occasionally a brick would come through their window at their office. Who knows who threw it? But there is an opposition to the gospel. What is underlying all of that? Sin and not wanting to know about it. I want to live the way I want to live, I want to believe what I want to believe. I don't want to be accountable to God. You know that all the world's religions are easier than Christianity because none of the other world religions really require anything of you. Even Islam, with all of the submission that that word means, it's still ritual. And they can't guarantee their salvation on any means. It's all fate. Allah decides who's going to hell and who's going to paradise. That's, that's what they think. Now, here... In Christian faith, Jesus is Lord, which means a submission in a living, not ritual way, a living relationship. And I think that's much harder to be an engaged relationship. But that's what we have with our Father. In fact, he says, you can call me Daddy. If you believe in Jesus, you can call me Daddy. That's amazing. And we're children of our Heavenly Father. That's a great gift. So maybe occasionally we get bricks thrown at us, maybe the seed that we plant gets plucked up and taken away by naysayers people contradicting people that want to hang on to what they want to hang on to but you know what the Holy Spirit is more powerful yet and the gospel never comes back empty so be those people the people that share those beautiful good words and no matter what your feet look like they are beautiful when you share so what can we do well it's a privilege to know what we know, isn't it? It's a privilege. God has opened up our eyes. We've got to preach the good news to all as the Holy Spirit leads us and the people, the personalities that we have, the opportunities we have. We need to pray for other salvation. I've got we, missions many months back talked about who is your one. Think of that one person that you can think about and pray for, that they would come to faith in Jesus. And I've got several on my to-do list, and I don't neglect them ever. They're the last thing I'm going to do. Even if I'm absolutely dead tired, I am going to make sure that I pray. And it's not that I'm twisting God's arm. It's not that I'm trying to manipulate God. I am just trying to not only remind myself that this is important. I'm reminding myself how vital it is. I'm reminding myself that I should open my mouth at some point and say something when the time is right, right? It's in the forefront of my mind. And I want to see and I'm ready for God to answer that prayer. And when God does, I'm going to have a party. And if I'm dead and gone to heaven, well, there's already a party. But you know what? The saints rejoice in heaven over one sinner that repents. That's a party. So I'm not going to miss it. But I'm praying for it, and I'm looking for it. How about you? Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. Then we want to celebrate God's blessings in such a way the world can't ignore some of that is puzzle exchanges some of that is simple isn't it some of that is harvest parties where we invite the world in to celebrate with us and engage conversationally and have fun together that's outreach some and then they see the sign on the wall down there that's the evangelism in print on the walls spanish and english we've got these things in place we can do more we can do better we can do things individually think about what we can do. I thought of some things for myself. One, I want to continue to say grace when we go out to a restaurant. Jenny and I always say grace. We bow our heads. We say grace. It's interesting how many people don't even know what we're doing. Waitress comes up, plops our plates down in front of us, starts asking us questions, and both of us are like this. Oh, hi. (laughs) You know, they just don't know. But it's a witness on at least a casual level, isn't it? We can do that. And I've never had anybody say, we don't pray here. You're not allowed to pray here. Your prayer offends me. I have never had that happen. It doesn't matter for a Taco Bell or some five-star. It doesn't matter. We always pray. It's so important. We also want to worship faithfully. God is our priority. I remember people in Alaska trying to get me to go fishing with them on a Work week, and I was having to prepare a sermon, and you know what his answer was? Oh, just wing it. Let's go fishing. I said, no, this is too important. That was my testimony. I really cared about the Word. Loving one another is a major testimony. That's one of the primary ways the world knows we're disciples of Jesus Christ. See how they love one another? See how love covers a multitude of sins? See how they help each other out? A group of six of us I wasn't in it because I didn't know about it, but, and I would have gone, but I wouldn't have maybe liked to have gone, but it would have been a good thing to do. One of our members had a huge pile of blackberry bushes growing all over in his yard, and he needed some help. And so six of our guys ended up getting in there, and they took out the entire thing. Wow. And some of you feel that this morning, don't you? I know you do. Thank you for what you did. But you see, that's love, and that's care and that's good. And then when you're asked why you're a believer in Jesus, and maybe they say disparaging things, maybe they've given you an attitude, maybe they have started to move back away from you like you're poison or something, remember to ask questions. That is the best way to start any conversation. Ask them what they think. Ask them how they deal with stuff. And then share, as the opportunities arise, what you think and what you know and who you know. And then just trust the Holy Spirit to bring it home. And I've got one last piece that I've been working on in my life. How many of us don't feel comfortable with closure? In other words, I really don't want to know how you're going to respond to this because it makes me nervous. Maybe you'll say no. I don't want to know. Maybe you'll say yes. Oh, that'd be exciting but it never happens. So I don't want to know. Here's the problem. People may be waiting, like, I I believe what you're saying. I'm there. I get it. I've been thinking about this for a while, but I've never actually said yes. If we don't have any interest in their saying yes, why would they be interested? In fact, they might imagine that we don't want them here. Well, you know, our church is pretty satisfied. We're very happy. We like each other. And if you come, well, it could cause a ripple. And I don't think we want ripples. We want calm. We want what we know. We're comfortable. So go somewhere else or don't go at all. Everybody will be happier. Please think that if you sense that there's a readiness on their part and the engagement is going well and you can just see a leaning and the Holy Spirit says, ask, then one easy way to ask is just to say, is there anything stopping you from believing in Jesus right now? And if they say yes, then pray and give it more time. Pray that those things can be resolved, those issues. That's what happened to me and a personal friend of mine. His answer was, well, I'm afraid God will ask something too big of me right now, and I'm not ready for it. All right, he wasn't ready for it. Okay, I didn't go round two, round three, round four, round five until he broke up and caved. I just said, okay, we're not there yet. And I pray for him. He is there now, but he wasn't at the time. Timing is everything, but how can we not share the gospel if we're not willing to say, is there anything that stops you from believing in Jesus Christ right now? And that's my question this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is an amazing journey throughout the Old Testament, through the New Testament, through to our lives today, that we have a role to play in your calling people to faith in Jesus. And Lord God, we give you all the credit. We give you all the praise and glory that anybody believes today. You sought them. They did not seek you first. We pray, God, now that those who believe in Jesus Christ, that all of us would be able and willing and available to share the good news with the world around us as your Holy Spirit leads us. Help us to ask questions and not just Tell. Help us to open their hearts and minds. Give us wisdom as we live in this world to be able to engage with others. And Lord, help us to set aside our fears of rejection and things people might say and and sometimes do. Bricks are thrown. But Lord God, give us a calling that gives us boldness and strength. Help us to be a help to each other, to encourage each other, to pray for each other. Help us, Lord God, to remember to pray because it's your power, not ours. It's your word, not ours. It's your salvation and the means of it, not ours. Thank you that we have been privileged with such a word that we know that Christ died on the cross. We know that Christ was buried. We know that Christ rose from the grave. We know that Christ ascended into heaven and we know with the shofar blast this morning reminding us that Christ is coming back and that time could be short or long but we know what we're supposed to do help us to be caruso help us to be your witnesses and for anybody here this morning that realized you know there really isn't anything standing in the way just say i believe i believe it i believe it right now thank you so much for the forgiveness of my sins thank you and i need now lord all the help i can get as we all do to live a life that gives you honor and praise. Thank you that you're never going to let me go, that you and I are in this together forever. You love me, and I love you too. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus, oh, so wonderful, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore as we gather around the chicken and beans and all the kinds of goodies down the hallway, be with you forevermore and all of God's people could say, Amen. Hey, come on down to the fellowship hall. We've got seating tables, all that inside. Enjoy yourselves. Have a great time.